I have been blessed in my life to have attended four seminaries. And spanning the years between the early 1980s and 2012, when I finished uh, a two-year term at uh, uh, St. Mary's Seminary here in Houston. The first seminary I went to, as a young seminarian, I was convinced that I could understand what this Acts chapter 2 reading of Pentecost is all about. I was a very smart student, and I thought I had it figured out. And I went to another seminary in the early 90s, and I thought I had it figured out then, too. I had only begun to touch the surface of the power in the story we heard from Acts chapter 2. This is our story. This isn't one of those one-time-only events that can never be repeated. This is a story of the empowerment of the apostles and the 120 people in the upper room of Jesus so they could do their ministry. We are empowered through the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus calls us to do in the same way that they were empowered and by the same Holy Spirit. I thought I understood it, but I didn't even glimpse the meaning of it until 1992, (coughs) excuse me, at my first parish in Austin, Texas, when we had a tradition at that that, uh, little church of having the Pentecost lesson Acts 2, read in multiple languages, one at a time. We usually had four or five people reading at least a few verses of Acts chapter 2 in a different language. (coughs) One that, and we could sort of get an idea of what it must have been like when those 120 people burst out of the upper room where they were hiding in fear into the streets of Jerusalem and proclaiming the good news in foreign languages that none of them knew. This wasn't babbling. This wasn't what is called glossolalia, speaking in tongues. This was foreign languages they were speaking. And I didn't understand what all that was about until right before Pentecost in 1992, a very sweet woman in my parish came and uh, I knew she worked at a college and she said, uh, Father Steve, could I bring some of my college students to help with the readings? And I said, that would be fantastic. And so as the day of Pentecost came, <laughs> as it arrived, she did come and she brought 30 of her college students because it turns out she was the director of international studies at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, which used to be known as Southwest Texas State University. 30 all over the world, all over the world. And they read this passage in languages that most of us had never heard of before over and over and over. And as each one read, in his or her language, the story of the good news of God's mighty works in the world, something happened in that church that day. 
we began, you could feel the energy level rise after each reading. And as it kept going, have you ever heard 30 people read something in a row? Usually people go, oh my God. We felt power. As each one read, the power got greater until the final one read. And something extraordinary happened. People spontaneously stood up and began clapping and shouting for joy. I thought that some of my older parishioners were going to keel over right then until I saw that they were clapping too. Then I understood something that I'm still trying to learn about. God has a language all his own. It has nothing to do with words. It has all to do with the transmission of his love directly to us and that we then can transmit his love through the Holy Spirit directly to others. Have you ever watched a mother with a newborn baby? What language are they speaking? There is no language for that. That love is expressed in a different way. When you see grandparents watching grandchildren graduate from high school or college, what language are they thinking? It's beyond language. It's divine love that you can't wait to share with another person. God's language. There are some, something like 7,163 languages in the world today. In the Pentecost lesson today, this incredible story, the apostles were given the gifts through the Holy Spirit to speak in other languages. They were all from Galilee. The story begins on the 50th day after Jesus had rose from the dead. It was the Feast of Succoth back then, the Feast of Booths in the Jewish world. still is today. Fifty days after Passover is the Feast of Booths there. Fifty days after Easter is Pentecost for us. They were in the upper room in Jerusalem doing precisely what Jesus told them to do. When Jesus ascended into heaven ten days before that, he told them, don't do anything. Go back into the city Watch and wait and pray. And in a little while, you will be clothed with great power from on high. Now, because they heard Jesus' word and obeyed him, they went back and they prayed, assumably for nine days. That's where Novena comes from, praying for nine days, 120 people. And on this day, the 10th day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. It's believed to have been nine in the morning when it happened. They were at prayer. The power of God descended upon them. There was a noise. And then the rushing of a mighty wind that filled the whole house where they were. The noise from that wind filled the house. And then something that, that Luke describes as like tongues of fire lighted and descended upon each one of them. Now, that defies our words. I have in my mind that that was an amazing electrical charge and fiery charge that God gave to each of them. The Holy Spirit. 
Two of the things that we're most afraid of in this world, wind that's out of control and fire that's out of control. But these weren't out of control. They were in God's control. Descended upon them. They were so charged that these fearful people who were still afraid that they were going to be arrested and carted off and crucified were given the gift of courage. They got up out of the room, went out into the streets in Jerusalem, not silently or cowering, but proclaiming in other languages God's mighty works in the world. And the crowd was astonished. Aren't these people all from Galilee? How are they all speaking in our own languages? And then Luke lists for us where they're from. Northern Africa, all over Northern Africa, through the Mideast, up into Asia, as far as Cappadocia on the Black Sea. All of them were there. These were devout Jews who had come for the Feast of Booths. They were charged so much that when Peter preached his sermon on this day, 3,000 of them joined their ranks. That's a pretty powerful sermon for someone that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed denied him three times and then went off and wept. Something happened over those 53 days. Something happened that morning. They were speaking in languages. You know, there's a, there's a website that I have spent far too much time in Lord forgive me, called ethnology. It's about languages. It's believed that there were 31,000 languages in the world from the beginning until now. 31,000. I don't know how they know that. Uh, some of the estimates are much higher than that. Most of them are dead and gone. There are now 7,168 languages in the world today, in a, in a, and 90% of them have less than 100,000 people speaking them. Many of them have less than 10,000 people. Some of them only have a handful of people who speak them. They're disappearing all the time. Some estimate that, that of these 90% of the languages in the world today, that in 100 years they'll all be gone. And they'll just be the major language groups in the world. Languages disappear <coughs> whenever people stop teaching it to their children. And if they don't write it out, they really can't keep passing it on. And of the 7,168 languages in the world today, half of them, actually 48% of them, have no written language. And I have in my life come across a couple of occasions where people are panicked about that. In uh, North Dakota, where I was uh, the dean of the cathedral in Fargo for four years, I got to know a, a lot of people from the, the, the other nations that are there. They don't call them reservations, they're nations. Uh, uh, several people in particular from the Standing Rock Nation and from the Spirit Lake Nation, some of the elders were panicked to me because they said, Father Steve, our young people don't want to learn the Lakota language. And we old people are the only ones who are, who are speaking it. They move off and go to the big city. You know what's going to happen to the Lakota language in another 40 years? It's going to be gone. Now, it is written out. The liturgy is written out. The, uh, the Old and the New Testaments are written out. Prayers are written out. But there won't be anybody speaking it anymore. When I visited uh, Taos Pueblo in Taos, New Mexico, a, a city that's been there, a village that's been there for 1,200 years, 
Some of the same families take care of some of the apartments who are there. And when the families die off, they just let the apartments deteriorate. The Tiwa language, which the South Plains Indians speak, has never been written down. They have forbidden it. Their sacred stories are sacred. You only speak them. And the young woman that I talked to, who was a nurse, who was a, a spoke Tiwan, basically said, it's going to be gone soon. And the old people lament their sacred special language because they're not teaching to their children. The young people aren't interested in it. It's going to disappear. And there was one that I was reading about uh, the Nayara Fol language in the Ivory Coast. In the Ivory Coast, there are 68 indigenous language, languages, some of them only with, with a few speakers left. Uh, the people who speak Nayara Fol, I think it is, uh, only have a handful of people speaking it left. There have been biblical translators there since 1980 trying to get the Holy Scriptures into their language. They've gotten most of the New Testament done and only part of the Hebrew Scriptures. But there are some things in our Bible, in English, or Greek, and in Hebrew, that doesn't translate. And there's no one really there to help them translate it. And so we know that language is going to be gone too. And so as we watch, I think in the state of Texas there are now 175 languages being spoken, usually every day. But a lot of the people who have learned English, I think uh, two-thirds of the people who have learned English as a second language speak another language when they go home. And I think in the U.S. there are something like 1,500 languages. And in the last 50 years, about a dozen of them have gone extinct because the last people who spoke them died. And so languages are dying off. And English will too if we stop teaching our children. If we stop encouraging them, if parents stop reading to their children, which they're doing, parents don't read to their children. When they don't encourage a love of learning among their children, the children don't love to learn. And languages die. And one language, however, that will not die is this one. When the wind came upon the apostles, the tongues of fire, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God spoke to them, giving them their orders to go into the world and their great joy to go in the world and change the world. The world was evil back then and broken. People did horrible things to each other. They do that today too. They always do that because the prince of this world is evil and he wants to kill you. He doesn't like you. But he can't touch you because you don't belong to him. You don't have to do what he tells you to do. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have already received the gift that is already in you. You were baptized. We baptized five little children last week right there. They receive the Holy Spirit. You are confirmed. You receive the Holy Spirit into you. You come to this table to Mass. You receive the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You receive the divine life of God in you, into you. You have Him in you. He's not going anywhere. Our challenge is to remember that He's there and that He loves us and He has his work that he wants us to do. 
He wants us to make a difference for him just like the apostles and the first 120 disciples of the Lord did. They went into the world and made a difference. And most of them were killed because of their faith. Let that sink in. In Hebrews it says, where we get chastised because whoever wrote Hebrews said, you have not yet resisted temptation to the point of shedding blood. No, we haven't. The world still, the evil one in this world still wants to stop us, knowing that he cannot, because death is not the final enemy. It's been defeated. No longer do we have to fear death. We have been given victory over that in Christ Jesus. We can do what he calls us to do because he has empowered us to do that. And what does he want us to know? To speak his language, the language of love, the language of compassion, the language of kindness and mercy, and yes, justice and truth, self-control, walking in humility, and righteousness in his path. That's God's language. The world has its own. The evil one has its own. And it starts with anger and profanity and blasphemy, pornography. That's what the enemy does. We don't have to do that. We don't belong to him. We belong to the one who died for us. The one who baptized us in his water, confirmed us with his Holy Spirit, who gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity when we come to Mass, to come into us, hear what he is telling us to do. Don't just go along to get along. I tell my confirmation students all the time, don't just go along to get along. Make a difference. When other people are angry, be kind. You heard, you've seen the list that Mother Teresa said. Be the things that we're called to be. Be kind and generous and compassionate and merciful and loving, long-suffering, and keep the faith of the Lord Jesus in, fast in your heart and know that he's holding fast to you and that you have a new language you can speak. God's language. Father, give us the grace and the mercy to speak your words.